five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing since uh, the five minutes ago that we were last talking? Anything changing your uh, life? Anything big happen? Uh, we, uh, my wife informed me of a doctor's appointment. We got scheduled for me. So one more, one more thing, to, one more thing to dread that us men over 50 have to do. Oh, it's one of those doctor appointments. Yeah. Oh, those are, yeah, I'm. Not quite there oh. yet, but uh, I haven't. I haven't done, this will be my first, so not. Uh, uh, I just hope he buys me dinner first. Oh <laughs> uh, man, um, what a what a way to start this one off! I, <laughs> I love that, man. Um, <laughs> I never. Mind. I was about to make a joke about yeah, so what I think Alabama my, does to what I hope Alabama <laughs> does to a few opponents next year, but um, <laughs> we'll leave that one alone. Already off the rails. No, <laughs> last episode. We talked a lot about guys who stood out in the Sugar Bowl. We didn't exactly get into the details of the Sugar Bowl necessarily, but it's been a little while, so I didn't necessarily feel like that was, you know, overly important. I feel like you probably listen, you know, the listeners have listened to a ton of podcast or reaction to the actual yeah. game. We talked a little bit about some of the the players, Brian Branch and his twelve tackle, you know, four tackles for loss, sack, interception, performance. Uh, just phenomenal. You know, Jordan Battle getting his first interception or his first turnover period of the season after having three last year, including two pick sixes. It was an important turnover because it was the opening drive of the game. Kansas State was driving. They had gone from, I think, the 17 to around midfield. And, you know, the interception shifted all momentum in Alabama's favor. Kool-Aid McKinstry and what he was able to do, you know, targeted nine times. He did give up three catches for 42 yards, but he had three pass breakups. Uh, which gives him, I think, like 16 on the year, really battled against Malik Knowles, a very good wide receiver, and, and had his fair share of wins. In fact, I would say he probably won that matchup overall. And then the hustle play on the 88-yard touchdown by Deuce Vaughn, almost being able to hawk him down, I thought that was a perfect representation of the Alabama program and how you want guys to play. And so I thought that was encouraging. I mean, just zero quit in him on that particular I don't even know what you call it, almost hawking him down. But it just uh, it was a very encouraging performance. But let's let's talk a little bit more about the transfer portal because both before the game and then after the game, I thought Nick Saban made some very interesting comments, and it doesn't seem like he's really shying away from it. He's not calling out players individually, but everybody knows who, who left via the transfer portal. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. I mean, you had – three different levels of guys. I mean, you had JV and Cohen, you had Treshawn Holden, you had Jojo Earl. All three of those guys are starters or were heavily involved in the rotation. You had guys like, you know, depth players like, uh, you know, Kyrie Jackson and Amari Kite and Tanner Bowles and Christian Leary. You had the young guys like an Aaron Anderson or a, a Tommy Brockermeyer, so the back half of your depth chart. So you had the, the depth chart was affected at, at all three levels. But before the game, Nick Saban said, even though we didn't have any opt-outs, we have like 10 guys that got in the portal, and I gave them all the opportunity to play in the game if they wanted to, and they didn't. I don't know if that's a good thing for players not to have to stay committed to their team for the entire season. And then after the game, when he's up on the podium, you know, accepting the award for the Sugar Bowl, and he was, what's one of the first things you brought up? This team that's here, the guys that are here, represent the University of Alabama extremely well. 
I mean, that you couldn't have been any more clear with what you were trying to send in that message. Jimmy, what was your reaction to that stuff? First reaction was it's crystal clear to me that the way Nick Saban prefers this to work is if you want to leave the team fine, but do it after the final game. Nick Saban didn't consider the final game to be Auburn. He considered the final game to be Kansas State. That's clear. And I don't think Nick is saying if you left in the portal, you don't represent this place. I think it's the timing that he doesn't like. And I think it, that is what he has been lashing out against. I, I, I don't think he's – if Nick Saban was 100% against the portal and doesn't believe a player should ever be in it, he wouldn't be signing kids out of the portal. But he is going to sign kids out of the portal. He's already signed one, you know, that's coming in, the Maryland tied in, C.J. Dupree. And uh, I believe he's going to be signing a couple of more uh, guys. I, I would look towards a defensive line, for instance. But – uh, I, I don't think Coach Saban cared for his players uh, piling into the portal uh, on, on as, as, at their first opportunity. And as far as he was concerned, quitting the team because the season wasn't over. Well, I mean, you had two clear examples. You know, who had the most to lose of everybody, of everybody that was on Alabama's roster for the entire year? Who were the two guys who had the most to lose? It was Bryce and Will. Bryce and Will, 100%. And it was for various reasons. They weren't entering the transfer portal. They didn't wait until after the season to do, even do that. They were entering the NFL draft. But they had their futures on the line. And, and if you injure yourself and that is your plan, then you significantly affect your draft stock. I mean, Jalen Smith is a perfect example. The former uh, Notre Dame linebacker has kind of bounced around. I don't think he was ever quite the same after the knee injury. He, he does start and he does play a lot for the New York Giants. He played and started for the, the Dallas Cowboys. But I think he's, he's lacked a little something. Ever since that knee injury, Jake Butt, the former tight end for Michigan, he ended up getting hurt in the bowl game, and his, I think he fell like the fourth round of the Denver Broncos, and he never really was able to take off when a lot of people thought he'd be like an early you know, second-round pick, an early day-two pick a few years ago. So we've seen guys be severely affected, and did that bother Will? Did that bother Bryce? No. They were 100% all in. There was, they, did, they weren't even going to consider sitting out of the bowl game. And then you've got other guys. It's like, how are you creating value for yourself? Nick Saban keeps talking about creating value by playing football. How are you doing that? Like, guys will, will opt out and they'll go start preparing for the combine. Or in some of these guys' case, it was opting out and going ahead and getting to your next school. And then you, what? You're in a weight room. You, you start lifting weights. Why don't you get on a practice field for, you know, get 11 extra practices in and then get out there and, and Put your skill set and what you can bring to the table on display for NFL evaluators. You know, I, I don't think that's the best look. And, and granted, I don't know if uh, Mike Loxley gave C.J. Dupree the the ability to play in the bowl game because that's something that Nick Saban said that he he offered up. You know, that goes both ways. I, I don't know the story there, uh, but I'm pretty sure Dupree didn't play when right. Maryland. Correct. I believe. I, I believe. My, my, my understanding is Dupree wanted to play in the bowl game and Loxley told him to go ahead and go to Alabama. Okay. Well, <laughs> see, and that's a very different – because if you're told that, that's way different. And and that and if that's the case, if, if the coach is saying, hey, you're not a part of this team anymore, we respect you, go be great. Yeah, uh, they weren't happy he was leaving. It's kind of – he, he's, he's not Drew Sanders, but I believe the C.J. Dupree was sort of a Drew Sanders situation with Maryland. Yeah. Oh, that see, that makes a lot of sense. And that makes the two situations completely different. I'd wondered about that, though, because, you know, you hope that there's consistency on both sides. 
But I also don't think a lot of coaches are offering for their players to stick around and play. And Nick Saban, to me, that kind of showed he wanted to win this football game. Uh, He wasn't interested in going ahead and getting Tyler Booker, you know, his first full start. Uh, He he was going to continue to rotate him. But, you know, if he felt like that the depth would have been a lot better, I mean, Ken Randolph couldn't play his typical blocking tight end role because they needed him for depth on the offensive line. And he he ended up not really playing at all and then came in at right tackle. I think there's two ways to look at that bowl at the new the new system that we have, if you want to call it that, in, in terms of these bowl games that aren't part of a playoff. There's two ways to look at it. It's either the last game of the season you just played, the last game of 2022, or it's the first game of 2023. And I think what Coach Saban wants, ideally, is he doesn't want to uh, half do either one. He wants to be fully in. So, in other words, in his mind, this is the last game of 2022. So, no attrition. The the 2022 team that he just coached, they all, 100% of them, need to be available to play in this game because it's the last game of the 2022 season. Other coaches may say, hey, you know what? Season's over. I got to worry about next year. Anybody on my team who's not going to be with us next season, go ahead and go because I need extra practice time and I need to prepare for this game with my guys who are going to be here next year. So I think where you're not doing yourself any good, Clint, is if you're kind of, for lack of a better word I can come up with, half-assing it, meaning, well, I got some of my 22 guys and I got some of my next year guys. That's no good at all. I think what Saban wants is full commitment full commitment of 2022 team or hey you 2022 seniors and juniors and portal guys that are leaving get the heck out i'm going to play this game with my 2023 guys and get a jump start on next year uh so i think it just depends on which which side of the coin you're on and 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 there is no right or wrong answer but 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 it's it's just up to the coach but what's death is doing a little bit of both fantastic point and here's the thing i think nick saban did a fantastic job in this game. Really, it wasn't just Nick Saban. It was it was the entire coaching staff. But I thought they did a great job of doing a little bit of both. And what I mean by that, and then not to your point saying that they're trying to dabble in both, I mean in the way that he managed things. Like Will Anderson, he gave you that he was going to play and he was going to give you his all. They still put him on a pitch count. And you yeah. can't tell me that that was not related to, you know, minimizing the the injury yeah. risk. He played fewer uh, snaps. A lot fewer snaps. And Chris Braswell, as a result of that, played the most snaps of any of the outside linebackers. And I think that will benefit him for next year. You, you can't tell me that Damon Payne getting the snap count that he did and Jamirian Latham, by the way, and only 22 snaps, had five quarterback pressures, which is phenomenal. He had four in the, the regular season total. He had five in this one game. I thought he played and did a great job you know, playing that inside-out role think that's very encouraging you know you're losing Byron Young you're losing Justin the boy B I really think they need to establish a guy who can do both of those two things and I think there might be some guys in the portal that can maybe do that if they go out and decide to pursue those guys we'll have to wait and see but I think him getting 22 snaps in this particular game there was a reason for it it's preparing some of these guys for next year so it was like a, a little bit of a balance of both right it was uh it was giving Will Anderson the opportunity and you know that he's going to help you win the football game and I think he was actually better. Did he have sacks and stuff? No, that's continued to be a theme pretty much all year. But he had seven quarterback pressures, despite the fact that he played, you know, 30, I think 33 snaps, maybe low 30s. It's a great, I mean, if he if he would have done his typical snap count, 
which was up there, you know, close, you know, high fifties, low sixties, which is almost double the snaps. He would have set a, a season high in pressures in a single game. Like if he would have kept that same pace up. So I thought from a, just being disruptive standpoint, he was pretty darn good, but they also let some of these, you know, Dylan Moody shoulder injury. Don't know where that came from, but he was wearing a sling gave Deontay Lawson the opportunity to have another game where he plays the entirety of it. And I thought he played extremely well, uh, looked confident, looked comfortable. Definitely one of those run and hit linebackers that we've come to love, you know, in Alabama's defense, the three missed tackles are somewhat concerning. Uh, he had several down the stretch, like seven, I think over the last four or five games. Uh, so you want to see that get cleaned up, but I thought he played an excellent game again in the sugar bowl. So it was a little bit of a balance of both, but I completely agree with you. He took the guys that were going to be available. What he didn't want is he wanted the full team to be together. He wanted to finish strong. Certain guys didn't want to do that. No, that's right. And, and, you know, uh, and that's, that's fine. I mean, the portal's here to stay this new system. I mean, for those that don't like it, I'm sorry, you don't like it. And I'm not telling you, you should like it, but what I'm telling you is get used to it because this is, you know, NIL paying the players transfer portal, college football, free agency, you might not like it, but it's here. And it, and and once it's out of the, it's out of the toothpaste is out of the tube. You can't put it back in. I mean, you're not going to go back to not giving money to the players. <laughs> that's, that's, that's done now. Okay. Uh, so everybody just needs to some extent, including coach Saban, get used to it, but it's clear that he is of the mindset that the bowl game, even if it's not part of the playoff, is still the 2022 season. Therefore, the 2022 team needs to be there and play in it. He is not of the mindset that says, well, well this is a great opportunity to get a jump start on next year. Uh, no, he wants to finish this season. And boy, did they in Alabama uh, with one of the best bowl performances of the bowl season. Frankly, uh, as we've seen, we alluded to in our last show, uh, you know, Bob Connolly, says Alabama's the second-best team in college football per his analytics. Sagarin, the most famous of all the computer rankers, he has Alabama second. You know, um, So great performance by Alabama against Kansas State. Made believers out of all the people that didn't want them in the playoff. Completely agree. I do think Alabama would have been able to do a little bit of damage in the playoff, uh, especially uh, with Bryce Young being healthy, because you didn't fully know what to expect. You had started to get some glimpses of what they look like healthy against Auburn, but they wouldn't have had, had they made the playoffs, you wouldn't have seen the Kansas State game, so you wouldn't have had a lot to go off of. And I thought that once they really started to get comfortable, it started getting rolling and started to make some adjustments to what Kansas State was doing. They were very aggressive early, and really they continued to be. That, that's really their front. If you're going to run a three-man front, you got to be aggressive. you got to take chances. And just the size discrepancy between Alabama's offensive line and their defensive line, it wasn't really a sustainable model but it's really all you can do. Let's talk a little bit about the early entrance to the NFL draft. As of right now, you're losing guys like Jordan Battle and DeMarco Hellums and Tyler Steen and Emil Ikior Jr., or at least all those are the assumption. Cameron Latou, those are all kind of the assumption uh, at this point, but you also have the juniors, the, the underclassmen who are declaring. Bryce Young and Will Anderson, zero shock. I mean, I think everybody saw that coming. For me, I put Brian Branch in that same tier. You know, the way that I think we've talked about it a little bit this week is I don't think that Brian Branch has been Alabama's best defensive player, but I think he's played the best of all the defensive players. Is more My so gosh. of the way, to, yeah, it's more of the way to put it. He's been so consistent this year. 
and just his ability to play in man and zone coverage, the fact that he can be an extra, you know, run defender when you need him to, and he's great at timing blitzes and playing off blocks, disengaging, doing all that stuff. Sure tackler, blitzing, applying pressure on the quarterback. Can they're just he can do everything for you. He's been incredible. But so I'll put him in the same tier as Anderson and Bryce. Jameer Gibbs, just because I don't think that he really could have improved his draft stock any by coming back. He is what he is. There are going to be some limitations, but he's going to be one of the first running backs taken. And and really just whenever that happens, that happens. But I don't think he would have played himself into being taken any higher with another year. The one I don't agree with is Eli Ricks. I really feel like he should have come back for a year. Give me your thoughts on, I mean, are, do you agree with all the other decisions? And it's, do you agree with Ricks? No, I do not. And, I, and, and by, by saying that, I mean, I, I realized that if Ricks wasn't happy at Alabama, fine, go go play somewhere else. Portal back to LSU. Go 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 anywhere you want. But I think entering the draft was, was a poor decision uh, as it relates to him uh, personally and in general. I always say in general, Clint, uh, I'm a big, big believer in when you, you need to enter the draft at a time in your career where you will be drafted higher, as high as you possibly can. See, if Gibbs came back, he's not moving up. If Bryce came back, he's not moving up. If Will came back, he's not moving up. If Branch came back, he's not moving up. This is as high as it's ever going to get for those guys. Ricks is not going to get drafted as high as he would if he had come back to college, played a whole season healthy, fully invested in Alabama, fully invested in Nick Saban. I think he would have possibly been a first-round pick, no worse than second round. As is, I think he's probably likely to go day three, uh, you know, right now. Uh, I, I think it was just a, a bad decision on his part. Uh, I do think that he had a difficult time fitting in at Alabama. Uh, I think he was very frustrated his time at Alabama, in part because he showed up hurt, couldn't fully participate, got hurt again in fall camp. All that stuff, keeping him off the field, kept him from learning Alabama's complicated defense. And he apparently came from a fairly simple one under Ed Orgeron at LSU and playing in a more complicated defense was frustrating for him. Uh, but we did see when he did get on the field, his upside is just enormous. Uh, playing at Alabama was also helping. Hey, those NFL defenses, guess what, Eli? They're going to be really complicated. They're complicated too. Learning Alabama's, which is an NFL defense. Nick Saban ran the same defense at Alabama. He ran from Miami Dolphins. It's the same one. And it, it would have helped him so much. And I, I just hate for Eli that he made this decision. Now, am I going to root for him? Yeah. Do I hope he goes in the first round? Yeah. When, when he becomes a, a first-team NFL All-Pro, am I going to say, he's one of our guys? Yeah. I, I'm rooting for him. I, I just don't like the decision. What's the same situation that Deontay Thompson, or Ronnie Harrison, uh, Mac Wilson, uh, I think people on the message board brought up Vinny Sinceri, you know, Jeffrey Pagan's one from back in the day. There's just been so many players – now, granted, I thought Matt could have helped himself, Mac Wilson. Mm -hmm. But I still thought, I didn't think he was dropping to the fifth round. I thought Deontay Thompson could help himself. Didn't think he was going to be dropping to the fifth round. Uh, Ronnie Harrison, I thought he would be an early day two pick, not a late day two pick like he was. This is where I'm at with Ricks. And, and I will be very curious to see how NFL teams view him. Because what's crazy is when he was on the field, it was baffling to me. It, I wouldn't say it was baffling. It was just, it was kind of eye-opening. It was shocking because Kool-Aid McKinstry has been one of the best cornerbacks in college football. He just has. He's not a guy who you, who many teams have tested and got the better of him consistently. 
any time him and Eli Ricks were on the field together, teams said, I would tend to one rather target Kool-Aid McKinstry than Eli Ricks. And that, to me, was if, if NFL teams approach him and his talent the same way that college offenses did, which is we want no part of this guy. We know what he's capable of, and we're not going to give him an opportunity to do it. It's possible that he could go a lot earlier than we all expect. I, I'm fully with you. I think, to me, the reason I thought he should have come back is I think that, and, and this is the way I put it in, in the article, an article that I wrote. To me, he was a year. If he goes comes back to Alabama and he plays his way into being a first round pick, maybe even at one point in time he was used as a top ten pick. If he could work his way into being that guy, you're a year away from financial stability. Now you want that second contract, but being a top ten pick or being a first round pick compared to going in round three or four or you know late two or whatever, it is significant. You get a much larger signing bonus. You you're set up a year a year away from a lot better financial security. If you're betting on yourself, you might get to that second NFL contract sooner, but you got to survive for four years. You know, if you go in the fourth round, you don't have that fifth year option like you do if you're a first round pick, but you've got to survive four years of playing good football, working your way into a lineup, and not, you know, continuing to have the injury issues and all of that stuff in order to get to a much larger contract than being a first round pick. Don't get me wrong, that is very true. But just to me, I think the safer bet would be to return. You're going to get NIL money. You know, this is a new era of college football, so it's not like you got to risk significant, you know, without the injuries and stuff like that. Like, that still plays a part, but I just thought it was a questionable decision. I thought it really would have helped Alabama getting him back, but at the same time, one thing about it, he struggled with injuries, and and he, what was it, the I think it was the Ole Miss game where he got hurt, like, the second play of the game uh, and had to miss, so he comes back in. I think it was a head injury. Now, from Alabama's perspective, you got to you have to take that into account. Like you, you bring him in, you rely on this guy. You know, you've kind of built your defense maybe around your cornerbacks a little bit, and then you know Eli Ricks can't stay healthy. You got to make the adjustment. Why not just go ahead and get that other guy in there? You know, so the maybe from a consistency standpoint, getting the same two corners out there. You know, they dealt with the same thing the year before, which was Josh Job and Jalen Armour Davis. Both guys struggle with injuries. And it was, you're playing, having to play guys, you know, in the middle of games, bring them in, whatever. And it, it's a struggle. Or you've got guys that can technically play, but they're hindered. And it's like, do we play them? You know, I mean, this corner, you got to be healthy. Can't be playing at 80% because you'll get toast. So it's a very different approach, but I completely agree. I feel like Eli Ricks definitely should come back. Yeah, I really do. I mean, teams, teams make an investment. They make an investment in you in the first round. Uh, slightly less investment second round, slightly less third, slightly less fourth each round. So I, I'm a big believer in you being a first round pick is, is so much better than being a second round pick and being a third round pick is so much better than being a fourth round pick. The numbers bear this out. You guys can go Google it. What percentage of first round players make it to year five? What percentage of second round players make it to year five? It, 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 it goes perfectly. The NFL sort of knows what they're doing, right? They do miss. There are misses. But generally, first-round picks have great careers and, and second round a little less and third round a little less and fourth round a little less and so on until you get to the seventh round. And then you're talking about the, the really rare guys that are that are going to have five-year careers. My point being is Eli is going to be drafted in a round where there will be less investment in him than had he come back. And uh, one final example I use all the time, I used it about opt-in, opt-out for the bowl. Uh, I think we all know that Trevon Diggs is one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL. He's one of the very best, and he's headed towards a monster contract. 
uh, because he's one of the very best. Well, he, he went pro early. He opted out of the bowl. He went in the second round. Jerry Judy, you know, he opted into that bowl and, and was a first-round pick. Jerry Judy is a good NFL player, and he's going to be around. He's going to be around in the NFL for a while. Uh, but my point is Jerry Judy went in the first round and has made more money to date than Trayvon Diggs has. And I just use that as an example of going to the first round is important. <laughs> it's a big deal. And 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 Ricks could have, uh, I think, been a first-round pick. All the other guys that left, they, they weren't moving up if they came back. They, they weren't. Even Slade Bolden a year ago, when people were critical of Slade going pro, I mean, the first thing I said was, if he came back, he wasn't going any higher. I mean, he wouldn't have been drafted if he came back. I mean, he is what he is. That's that's it. Now, it, you know, it just getting a head start makes sense for Slade because he wouldn't have moved up. But I, I just strongly urge every all the players that listen to this podcast, and hopefully the whole team does, <laughs> if you can move up, come back. If you can't move up, I, I use Will Reichard. I love that Will Reichard's come back. I love it as an Alabama guy and as a Will Reichard fan. I love it. Is Will Reichard going to move up coming back? Probably not. Probably not. I mean, it's, 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 he's got the same chance, basically. I mean, he might improve. He might give himself a slightly better chance at making a roster because he'll be a year better before he gets to the NFL. But in terms of moving up in the draft, I don't really see that uh, with, with Reichard. I think it's just kind of the same. Well, yeah, and I completely agree. I think it's a, it's more of a situation where he's just enjoying the college game. I mean, as a kicker, like if you're going to make it to the NFL, you can play until you're 45. Like that, that's yep. definitely happened plenty. Uh, <laughs> so he didn't have to worry about longevity and just, you know, oh, I returned, so now I've taken a year off of my playing career and, you know, all this stuff. And I think for a guy like that who's very popular in the Tuscaloosa area, you might be able to make more money off of NIL and stuff off of local deals and things like that than maybe you would, you know, going to the NFL. So and, well, and as a practice squad guy, I mean, yeah. if you're on the practice squad all year, you make about $200,000. I don't know that Reichard's going to make 200000 at Alabama next year. I don't know, but I think it's possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, but if he's, if he's one of those fringe guys where it's like, will he end up being on a roster? Will he be on a practice squad? Will he, will he make the 53 man roster? If his career, if he gets invited, if he goes undrafted, he gets invited to try out, then he ends up not making the team. Well, now he's made NIL money. It was an extra year of making NIL money before he moves on. And, and, and I mean, he's a good kicker, so I, I would fully expect him to be able to make it in the NFL, but it's not like he's risking, oh, man, I'm taking, you know, if Jameer Gibbs ends up coming back, you know, that's a year for a running back that's important. Like, that's tread more tread on the tires. You, you don't see guys playing past 30 very often. Really, some guys are starting to get, you know, considered washed up around 28 or 29 at that position nowadays. And teams don't ever want to pay that next contract on running backs. Like, I mean, Derek, you, you got to have a Derrick Henry type of career and production for teams to want to be able to invest and, and make you their, they, and they would tend to win whether go draft a guy in the fifth round or the fourth round and just give him, you know, the opportunities. And so a guy like Jameer gives the sooner you get there. The, the better off you'll be because then, you know, after that first contract is up, you're looking at being, you know, 25, 26-ish rather than, you know, 27, you know, or something like that. So it, it's it's different. But as far as the NFL is concerned and guys moving on and guys coming back, you know, how do you feel about the the cornerback position with Eli Ricks gone? 
Well, what a great question. Me and you had a slightly different answer too, which is rare for us. We're usually just, <laughs> we usually have the same opinion, just about everything. But uh, we, we were slightly different. You made me give it more thought, actually. Uh, you know, Teron Arnold was the was really the, the second corner until Ricks was ready this season. I thought Arnold played, uh, I'll put it two ways. I think Teron Arnold played okay. Uh, but I also think in the same sense, he played really well for a freshman. Uh, I mean, you can't expect uh, a freshman, and I know he's a redshirt freshman. You know, it's a, he's playing in college football games for the first time. Uh, I think for guys playing in those games for the first time, he did really well. And, and, and for a junior or senior, he did okay. Uh, he, he wasn't – he didn't give up all those scores and all those yards against Tennessee. Uh, he, he did fine. Uh, I, I think Arnold has a chance to be really good and my first answer is it's going to be McKinstry and Arnold at corner uh, and and Malachi Moore at star. That was my first thought. You've got me more thinking we might see Malachi at safety and not at star. And I'm 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 not convinced either way. I, 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 he's very experienced at star. But I, I agree he might be a better player at safety than he is at star. So – the real answer is they're going to look at both. I mean, the real answer is he's going to he's going to play both positions this spring, and then they'll make a decision. Some of it based on these younger kids. Is Caleb Downs going to be truly ready to be a game one starter at safety? I think that's a factor. I think do they trust uh, Christian Story to be a full time starter? Do that? I, I don't know the answer to that. I've I've always been impressed by Christian Story, uh, but he hasn't been a first-team player, and he's been on, in the program for three full years, and he hasn't been a first-team player. Um, or, or Devontae Smith the same way. I think they like Devontae. I've, I've heard that they really do like Devontae Smith, and they consider him a future, you know, first-team type guy. Uh, is he ready? I think all of that could factor into where Malachi plays, and where Malachi plays may affect where Arnold plays because Terry and Arnold, even though he's done nothing but play corner, he clearly could play star, and, and the whole time he was recruited, people thought he'd be a safety. So I think where Malachi plays could affect where Terry on Arnold plays. Uh, and to say nothing of Earl Little, who just went through a redshirt year because of an injury, but I think we all feel, hey, I know we haven't seen Earl, but Earl's a major threat to be a first-team player uh, at either star, corner, <laughs> or safety, wherever they decide to put him. So I think there's a bunch of moving parts. I think spring is going to be a pretty big experimentation deal about who's ready where. But my answer today is McKinstry and Arnold at corner and Malachi at star. Yeah, and I've really gone back and forth too, and and more so the way that I'll look at it, at least early on here. I think Kool-Aid McKinstry, uh, Malachi Moore, Tyrion Arnold – Earl Little Jr., Jacquez Robinson, Christian Story, and Caleb Downs, and then Devontae Smith. Those are like your top eight defensive backs. And I think it's really mixing and matching. There's what? Five when you run a nickel, and then six when you're going money. So I think those will be the guys, you know, Desmond Ricks maybe, but anytime it's a young corner, I would prefer, you know, give them a little bit of time. Uh, you, you might, Kool-Aid has been a heck of a player this year. Last year, the true freshman, there were some growing pains. He was out there out of necessity. So with Desmond Ricks, if you can avoid having him out there, I think you should and let him give him time to, to grow and develop. So those would be like the seven or eight top guys that I would really be looking at right now. But, you know, I think that 
with Malachi Moore, you can mask some of his deficiencies playing in man-to-man coverage, you know, or, or lining up over slot receivers when he's not playing star. Like, he's still going to have to do that. I mean, how often, you know, DeMarco Ellums, you know, sometimes you got to roll up and play. But I think that you limit that a little bit. And Tyrion, one thing about him that people's got to understand, this guy didn't have a lot of experience at cornerback. He was still making the transition. And it's so much different than anything he's ever done. And he does a lot of things extremely well. You could see the, the skill set and why Alabama saw, you know, a potential corner. Because that's exactly, you know, everybody thought he would play safety. He gets to Alabama and he's playing corner from day one and he stayed there. And, I, you know, Alabama saw something in him that I think is starting to turn out pretty good. I think it was the right call. It's just the nuanced things of of playing the football in the air and staying in phase with the, with the receiver and, and having to carry them vertically. Those are not things you really have to do at, at safety. And so those like little nuanced spots are, are things that you have to do to play corner effectively. He's still growing and developing and learning in some of those areas. So I don't think it's you know a huge concern on that front. I do think he could stay on the perimeter at corner. I also think he could play star or safety. I think Earl Little can play perimeter, star, or safety more star safety Caleb Downs star safety I think really the guys who are locked in Christian story if he's involved he's going to be at safety Kool-Aid McKinstry is going to be at corner you know I, I would even say Jacquez Robinson he played a little star this year I'm more so view him as, as a perimeter guy but he has a little bit of versatility there as well so I think really the only two guys who are locked in if they're going to be a part of that rotation which one of them certainly is a McKinstry but with Story only going to really be a safety I mean he can play some star if you needed him to but I think they like him more so there so those would be the two that were locked, and everybody else is kind of in flux. We'll just have to see how it plays out. But we only got about three, three and a half minutes left. But I did want to quickly talk about the coordinators because that's what everybody on everybody's mind. So Jimmy, Bill O'Brien, contract is officially run out. Does Alabama re-sign him? Does he go to the NFL? And then with Pete Golding, you know, what are you hearing on that front? Yeah, nothing new in the sense that I've been saying since September, October, that I, I don't think any, either coordinator will be back. Um, I was really confident that Bill O'Brien would not be back. I think this was the best way to put it is this was always going to be a two-year thing. It was always going to be a two-year deal. Uh, Bill O'Brien wanted a job. Nick Saban probably said, well, I can't have a one-and-done situation. At least you got to promise me two years. <laughs> and then now the two years is up, and, and, and Bill O'Brien – most likely in his head is, is like, gosh, the NFL is such a better deal than, you know, it just starts with this. In the NFL, I get eight weeks of vacation. In college, I get two. So I, I think I'm going to coach in the NFL. I mean, to, to me, I think it's literally that simple. Um, now, with Pete's a little more moving parts to this. Um, you know, my, my feeling has been that Pete w- would be out. And uh, I, I believe that as, as we record this, I believe Pete Golding will – will not be the defensive coordinator at Alabama next year, not because Nick Saban is going to say, Pete, you're fired, and not because uh, Pete is just going to clean out his office and not talk to coach. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's not that at all. I, I just think that it's uh, time. It's time. <laughs> it's time for a change. Uh, and and, and uh, let's, let's just, for lack of a better term, call it a mutual parting of the ways. That, that's what, what I believe, but this is belief, I'm not reporting it, I believe that's what's going to happen, but uh, and and I think it would happen before February first, uh, because you kind of have to need things in place for spring practice starting around February first, and start in terms of planning, in terms of roster management. Uh, so I think it's going to happen soon. Uh, we're on the same page with that. Yeah, I mean, I think the much more likely one to return is Pete Golding, but if I 
to put it out there today, I would say that neither coordinator's back, and that's going to be a transition. People need to understand that. Now, there might they might be bringing in some guys or a guy that has some familiarity with the system and, and what Nick Saban expects is possible, or it might not happen. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, but just wanted to touch on that a little bit. On really just a surface level, I think Alabama's offense needs to get a little bit more complex, and I think Alabama's defense needs to get a little simpler. Uh, I think they need to come to the middle a little bit more because I feel like Bill O'Brien wasn't creative enough. Uh, he really ran it like a, an NFL-styled offense where it's really about the Jimmys and Joes and not the X's and O's a lot of times in the NFL. And really in college, it's like, hey, you got the you got the Jimmys and Joes. Don't get me wrong. Uh, a huge advantage over most teams, but also you got to get creative in, in how you attack. But, you know, defensively, I think things were just too complicated and guys were overthinking things. That's going to wrap it up for today's episode of the Bama on 3 show. We appreciate you guys the last couple of days listening in. We'll be doing a and a I think, next week and, and allowing you guys to ask questions. But we just want to cover everything on more of a broad scale, and we hope you guys enjoyed it. Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you hopping on here with me, and we will talk again soon. Once again, this is Clint Lamb, and you're listening to the Bama on 3 show.